Hey, I am Prasad, Prasad Kompalli, founder and CEO of Hemfine. If you were to make a playbook of how to be a successful entrepreneur, then Prasad Kompalli's journey would very closely follow that playbook. He is a technologist with eight patents to his name and has spent more than a decade with the German tech giant SAP. He then got some startup experience as the chief business officer at Mindra before taking the plunge into entrepreneurship with Mfine. Mfine started with a simple idea of allowing consumers to get access to the best doctors online and is today a full-stack healthcare partner for consumers. In this deep and candid conversation with your host Akshay Dutt, Prasad shares the journey of building one of India's leading health tech startups and how they faced a near-death experience eventually coming out stronger and more resilient. Stay tuned and subscribe to the Founder Thesis podcast on any audio streaming platform to hear more such heroic stories of starting up and building resilience. So aspiration was really that a lot of things can be done with computers, a lot of automation. I mean, towards the 96, 97, we started hearing about Infosys, of course, and TCS, etc. Then suddenly it started thinking that, okay, actually things can be built out for global markets, large scale solutions can be built. But actually quickly realized within nine months that it's like a drop in the ocean, right? When we join such a company like TCS at that point in time. So left the company and joined a small, very small company that started operations in India, a German company, which was doing Salesforce automation and things like that. Then kept on thinking about how to build large scale systems. And also what happened was that that company I joined was acquired by SAP largest, one of the largest enterprise companies. So moved to Germany in a more responsible role, spent time there almost like six, six years, six and a half years or so in two stints, but came back beginning of 2009. But having said that, I also learned a lot. I mean, I grew pretty fast at SAP, learned a lot in the sense that how do large scale operations have to be run, large scale systems have to be built, you know, mission critical software development and delivery and deployment, people management, multicultural, multinational distributed development. So a friend of mine was a colleague at SAP and also he had a previous attempt at it to solve together with a professor at MIT to actually produce something basically will change the cost equation if you can produce that kind of technology in India and capability of producing is there. So it was as an engineer, as a problem solver, it looked like everything is possible and, and we can do it and quickly build a prototype and we thought that we can do this. You're talking of the kind of devices that say GE or Philips build like those kind of which are used in hospitals. It's actually implants so even more specialized actually like a cochlear implant which it's like a neurostimulator so it helps you bond deaf people to hear and things like this based on certain conditions to be met medically and things like this. There are only three, four companies in the world that are doing it well right? These kind of devices, right? So it's pretty deep in that sense. See, the problem solving the technology is the easiest part. Building the business around that product was the, all the cushion I had, right? When I was in a company like SAP, there are a few things that I have learned about the market as well, that the entire ecosystem has to accept the price point. Entire ecosystem has to accept that this is something that they will also get benefited from. The doctors involved or the companies involved in between suppliers, etc. And the training that is required for the device post-sales and all that stuff. So 
we understood that will take an enormous gestation period for a implant like that to be built in India and delivered, etc., and to be accepted. And we were absolutely not ready in the way that we were imagining the company. We need a stronger platform support. Perhaps like a GE or somebody like that would do much better or even as a strategic investor, we have to get somebody. So had a, a pharma company CEO committing to us as a early investment, probably that also blinded us a bit that you know, and did not uncover the problems for a while because the funding was committed. So we were more focused on building time, spending time on what we are comfortable with of building a prototype and things like that, but really not understanding the overall ecosystem. And at the same time, of course, the internet commerce was taking off and got in touch with Mukesh and uh, Ashutosh at Mindra. And uh, Mukesh was actually doing parallelly some consulting projects of technology, architecture, etc. So one of the consulting projects, Mukesh said, he was looking for some technology head as well for the next generation of Mindra's journey and things like that. So I said, I can do some consulting. So started with consulting at Mintra. Then one thing led to the other and the Mintra journey started there. You joined Mintra in a revenue role, like like LinkedIn says you were chief revenue officer. Whereas in SAP, you were in a technical role, right? Like you were leading a team of developers. Like how did you make that transition? I did the consulting project. That was again technical in the sense that what is a product roadmap, technology roadmap for uh, Mintra to be a successful, differentiated fashion e-commerce play. In India of world standards, right? A lot of inspiration from world uh, or companies. So uh, the time Mukesh said that Shamik will do the uh, CTO role and he was looking for a pure you know, CTO who will go deep and build the systems from for the future, etc. And the deep expertise on building those systems. While, because I was still consulting, ideally I would have moved on because there is a technology CTO coming in already. But in discussion with Mukesh, I also got inspired saying that, can I do something different on the business side, right? For me, it was a different challenge, but it was not really that I could only do technology. Having gone through a startup and having seen some senior management roles at SAP, etc., I also felt that this is a good opportunity for me to extend beyond being a only as CTO. Essentially, it's like growth hacking was like the core focus, like using data to figure out how to drive growth. Yeah, pretty much started like that. Like, And then digital marketing is an inevitable part, right? And then you'd be surprised. I set up the data science team for actually, we actually had a growth engineering team, which is different from the core engineering team as well, right? Which was doing, productizing a lot of these things. Okay, okay. Like helping to increase the average order value by suggesting that you may also be interested in this when someone selects something or showing similar items and, yeah, yeah, start from there, recommendations to sorting logic or to, yeah, sorting logic was in kind of recommendations as well. So in the, in the way that the uh, merchandise is appearing, uh, things like some of the growth marketing to retention tools, etc., right? communication, engagement tools, etc., increase the LTV. Pricing was a big deal to really optimize what is the optimal price between conversion and margins. The role expanded into looking into the entire category management as well, entire merchandising, supplier relationships. Marketplace versus inventory model, working with the brands, building, bringing new brands to the country or working with the existing brands to increase the share of Mintra business. And you were there during the acquisition by Flipkart as well. And I think post the acquisition also. 2014 was the acquisition. 2016 I left. So it's pretty much in the middle of my stint at Mintra that the acquisition happened. And no, I think my personal opinion, one of the very few large scale mergers right? Successful mergers, right? That succeeded in the not only preserving value, but actually increasing value for both Flipkart and Mintra, right? Both the involved parties, right? But yeah, 
being in that successful merger and seeing through was learning in itself how to keep the focus how to understand value creation value preservation and you know how to do things which are good from a core competence point of view in on both sides so what led to the birth of mfine like i mean these are like very different domains like from fashion e-commerce to health tech yeah i think that entrepreneurial bug was still there mintra was a good platform for me to just learn a little bit more on the consumer side and things like that so i got very interested in fundamental transformations that technology can do right and and of course ai was coming of age etc health was definitely on top of my head the inherent nature of how technology can fundamentally change the way healthcare delivery can be done healthcare is a inherently data driven business devoid of technology as of when we started so so started thinking about it uh, mid of 2016 on the same time yeah, towards end of 2016 started talking to ashutosh as well ashutosh was the co-founder of mintra so we actually traveled a bit we went to china singapore us talked to few companies in uk there is a uh, babylon health that was getting built up like a chatbot driven doctor kind of patients and things like that or there was ada in germany so there were pieces like telemedicine and you know there are pieces that were there in different countries that is evolving so we quickly thought that this is something that be super useful in a country of such an expanse like india where infrastructure is not reaching physical infrastructure doctors are not reaching so and doctors are limited in number so and then we talked to of course few customers potential customers few doctors hospitals something like 50 odd doctors 100 150 odd potential customers like general users then the idea of mfine shaped up yeah what was the original idea uh, was it like chatbot doctor consultation no actually it was a little bit more abstract than that so uh, so i personally i'm a bit more abstract thinking than sometimes it doesn't work but that's why part of the reason why i was too soon excited about windows bionics was also because that problem at an abstract level sounds very interesting so but nevertheless mfine also was a little bit of an abstract idea so my idea of mfine was that see we have so much of mobile changes the life of people and so many services are coming becoming consumer internet services can we imagine healthcare as a consumer internet service or more broadly even health as a consumer internet service that means that it is streaming it is on, always present you can instantly connect it's personalized for you it knows you you can you can access any service you want on demand and make it as simple as a open the app just tap on few things talk to a doctor tap on few things get your medicine tap on few things get your test organized so we found that this mobile and ai is a superb combination to actually solve this problem and make healthcare a very consumer internet service kind of thing and from that abstract idea of course came in saying that no we need to have a on demand consultations not appointment based so that people can immediately go and get it right like any other internet service on internet you don't go and take appointments for later right? particularly in health when you need something right so and then for the being on demand we created the ai uh, bot which basically can be available anytime and uh, bridge the time between the doctor coming in and you logging in for a doctor consultation and with data collection and pre diagnosis and the intelligence can be built in right so that was the idea so the version one of the app was around consultation like that was the initial focus yes yes and was it like an aggregation model where doctors could like sign up and as gig workers in a way yes we didn't do it with individual doctors so work with hospitals right where the specialist doctors are 
right? Or orthopedicians or cardiologists or even gynecologists, etc. So unless they believed in you that you are a good tool for them to deliver better care in line with their reputation, they wouldn't have come online, right? To us. And uh, you uh, built in diagnostics and uh, pharmacy also in version one or that? Yes. Uh, version one strictly not. Yeah, version one point five. We started showing option to do order test or or order pharmacy etc. So yeah, pretty much by twenty nineteen we started having that feature as well. Twenty eighteen was the launch of V one. Twenty nineteen middle we already started doing up this. How did you do the plumbing here in terms of pre pandemic? The I don't know if doctors were really that comfortable with a teleconsultation. So how did you get them to agree to really honor that? If someone has booked a slot, then the doctor should be there in front of the camera at that time, building the plumbing for the data transfer. That if the doctor orders a test, then the patient can seamlessly book the test, and the results can be sent back to that same doctor. If the doctor prescribes a medicine, that medicine can be seamlessly ordered, and all of that. So, how did you do all of that? Like that seems like the hard problem here. Yeah, yeah. One of the hard problems was, as you are saying, the time. adherence when you go into m fine today you actually say you select the button called consult now and then there is a ai bot that is actually coming in and collecting data and at the end of it within 15 minutes of that ending of that quick conversation with ai you actually get the doctor right of course there was a push and pull with the doctors as well why should i do this why should so even now on m fine 95% of appointments start on time Just right, right, and the 5% start within the eight, within eight minutes of the same, uh, within the eight minutes of the given allotted time, right? So, so, so 100% starts within eight minutes. 95% actually on time, and eight another 5%. So we achieved this over multiple things. The system is big for that to take care of checks and balances, pre-check, sending notifications to doctors, getting it ready, sending notification to patients so that they come on time and things like that. From the beginning, said it's a consumer-led service that has to be on demand, and then of course work with the partners on the diagnostic side and pharmacy. We have pharmacy. We have not really scaled. We've been limited in certain pin codes, etc. We also felt that we needed to differentiate the pharmacy delivery experience to be able to be a reasonable player compared to already established pharmacies. A very entrenched play, largely capitalized players. Why not just plug it with an existing pharmacy e-pharmacy player? Like to be honest, I talked to everybody at that point in time for starting off, right? But at around that time, most of the pharmacy use cases were chronic patients and medicine. When you order, it would come two days later, right? Thirty-six hours, right? So it was a chronic patient, chronic acute patient, etc. So, but the experience I wanted was different. The experience was that I do a consult, the doctor orders medicine. and it's kind of acute care in the industry terminology so immediately i want the medicine next two to 4 hours right so that's why we finally built our own system and worked with our own partners who can do okay so you you were like truly replicating the opd experience like when you go to an opd you get a prescription and then you get it filled that hospital itself has a pharmacy where you get it filled right and it was important for us that most of the use cases were that right they come you bring your child or you come yourself you bring your spouse or you bring your parent doctor says okay these are the medicines you should use sometimes doctors also says use this medicine one day later if it doesn't improve or two days later it doesn't improve then we do the test see this is a very immediate kind of a use case right so so those things were not captured by e pharmacy at that point in time and your commercial engagement was with the hospital like you would tell 
you have an arrangement with the hospital that X number of doctors being available from this time slot and this time slot, like there would be like a roster and those doctors would be available on M5 app in that roster and you would manage the appointments for slot which was allocated to them. Yes, yes. Largely, we were working with the hospitals in the country. You are not paying up our consultation fees to them then? You're paying for the number of hours that a doctor is committing? No, there was a commercial is based on consultations only. There is no minimum guarantee or business or anything like that. So for us, whatever we opened is a new channel for them, right? So it incrementally by definition. For the customer in their journey, do they select the hospital chain or they select consult now and then Whoever is available, they get. I select the doctor in the hospital. I mean, doctor from the hospital is visible in the list. So it's always our list is sorted by the availability and the distance to you. So distance was again another insight that we said that it gives you just the comfort. And we were humble enough to understand that healthcare experience will involve offline as well. At some point in time, right? We don't want to be... You know, one is we don't want to be like inadequate saying the doctor says, no, I want to examine you. Then the customer has to look for somebody else altogether. If the doctor, if the, if he can go to the same doctor, he or she can go to the same doctor, it would be better. People typically choose based on experience, based on speciality, etc. So that's how uh, it runs uh, out. Would you monetize the offline transaction also if the doctor said, I want to examine you physically? Yeah, there is a mission that can be booked through M5 only. That is a separate monetization on top of the online whenever they visit the visit doctor or the hospital. Okay. For a patient, it will cost them the same whether they go through M5 or they directly go. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So tell uh, me the how you build traction for it, like on both sides, like building supply and building demand. Because even to build supply, the model would need some some proof of concept initially, right? Because you're not giving any guaranteed payment. It is So you would probably need to show them that, okay, this hospital is using it and they have these many concerns happening through it and so on. See, I think so. a few things worked like well because when you go to a hospital and talk, see, we went to the hospital primarily because we thought that it's important to bring top-notch specialists online it will be a big differentiation there is another underlying reason though when you talk to a hospital it's a business decision and it's a strategic decision like i'm going through a digital channel i'm opening a digital channel so they are not counting to at least my interpretation of this like why it work right they are not counting this hour this how much they do count finally they'll say okay yeah it's is it taking off or not but we'll have enough time to build that initiative from a hospital point of view, right? So it is not like immediately I get my extra patients or not. I'm not counting at the end of the day how many extra patients I've seen. And they're able to see that view. And secondly, they're also able to see that this is as an additional channel. Like now I'm present on digital, right? Even for example, somebody who's taking a second opinion for a surgery, I have a chance to convert into surgery, right? Which is a significant portion of my business. So essentially for a hospital, their OPD is like a top of the funnel. Like there are, thousand patients walking in, hundred of those or fifty of those will get converted into more high ticket services, be it hospitalization or surgeries or procedures. Absolutely. Do you still remember the first account you cracked? Like was it like a big sense of achievement when you Yeah, yeah, it was in the sense that in, until then it was only in our heads, right? So so somebody seeing the same point and saying that yeah, we would do it. And that too we did it without even the first version of the product. Like no, it was seventy percent PowerPoint and US framework, US framework and 30% some P 
pieces running, right? So which one was it? Like the first account you converted? Well, first, first was RxDx in in Bangalore. Could be they still work with us. I think one more thing is the softer aspect is that when we talk to hospitals, institutions, CXOs of the hospitals, etc., we could align at a vision level. Right. It was becoming less transactional, more discussion about what can we do. Like these are the like they're also thinking about future growth areas, the future areas of healthcare in India, what is the trends, etc. We come from a technology background. We definitely attracted a bit of respect and for whatever proof points and pedigree that we had. So early success was largely based on that trust and that appealing to the vision of these visionary hospital owners and doctors, etc. Uh-huh. How did you tap into that network? Uh, so that that is like brute force. Of course, there, there were a few people we knew and we somehow got to know, but there was also like on the ground, me and Ashutosh used to take doctor appointments and go and meet without any trouble and, you know, just like really street smartness. That was the first, I would say, six, seven months, something like that. Or maybe even, yeah, almost like a nine months. Like you would take an appointment with the head of department for a consultant. In that consult process, you would try and convert. Amazing. That is amazing. But I think in nine months to 10 months into the business, we hired somebody from the pharma kind of who worked with a lot of hospitals and doctors. It's, she changed the game on the relationship side. We don't come from that background, so we didn't know that. So, But, but he definitely helped. And slowly, of course, the team started building and beauty. I'm guessing the economics of a digital consultation would be much better, right? Because you're not spending on nurses. In a physical consult, you need to have nurses, you need to have a cashier and all of that, which everything is now through AI and like through the app. See, but the transaction value is small. The incrementality would be less. Thing is that two things. One is the volume has to be good enough. And secondly, there has to be a, let's say, LTV has to be better. A percentage of customers have to move to other services as well. So once you signed up a certain like a minimum viable size of to have enough options in your app, then I'm assuming you would have done a launch and go-to-market. Yeah. So typical go-to-market was, uh, of course, digital marketing and a bit of offline marketing. Like we would show up at pharmacies, have our pamphlets or the the bags that you get from, those kind of things. Some of these hospitals were also forthcoming that to say that you can also consult us digitally on and put up posters in the OPD. In the OPD, etc. Right, so it was not like it was like immediately scaling. Right, it was like a lukewarm slowly because it was a lot of behavior change. See, what was interesting was that the use cases were like really reinforcing the belief in us that it's a matter of time. Like pediatric patients from about to take off kind of train, or about to train was about to leave the station, and they baby was like incidentally crying and the co-passenger downloaded the app and you know, it was like unimaginable for us. It felt as if people needed it, right? And the, the marketing, I wouldn't say was the best ROI, but still because of the, this behavior change, etc. But however, there wasn't any other option, right? We had to keep pushing, keep showing up. Like this is online consultation. Talk to your doctor in 60 seconds. Talk to the reputed doctor and book your test and things like that, right? Everything happens on your phone. So we did spend a lot of money on marketing. Of course, then this was going on in 2019 and we launched other services like diagnostics, preventive health checks, e-pharmacy, etc. Second half of beginning of 2020. Uh, pharmacies and diagnostics, these were like through partnerships. Similar partnerships, again, similar approach with a few national players and local players. Again, give a choice to the customer based on the distance and factors like immediate availability of the slots at home or even at the center. If you have to press a scan or something. 
and systems were integrated. The reports will come to the app, doctor can see the reports with the consent of the patient. Those experiences were taken care of. Like you would have integrated with the systems of like say a Lal Path Lab or a Arugya so that the data can flow, the booking availability, all of that can be. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Systems were sophisticated enough. On the other side, we integrated where it was not. We used to give our system and they start to use our system. Like a lab management software, you created a lab management software for the unorganized labs. Not lab management. Lab management is more internals of the lab. Kind of, yeah. But you can think about it as CRM, like booking an order, engaging and sending the phlebotomist or bringing, bringing yeah. phlebotomist samples back and things like that. And so you were essentially doing like a hyper-local ANC. So like one pharmacy for each pin code, which could, and you would have some logistics partner, like a Shadowfax or someone who would take care of the pick up and drop. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. How were the numbers trending by then? Like what kind of numbers were you tracking? Was it number of concerns or was it like a revenue? Yeah, it was more number of concerns. Something like few thousands we were doing every day. Concerns. This is by 2019, end of 2019. End of 2019. And, and few more additional transactions, right? I think it was more like thousand, thousand concerns and maybe 300 additional transactions, something like this per day, something of that nature around that number. Of course, then we also explored other customer acquisition channels a bit on the corporate side that uh, HRs want to give these benefits to users. Very lukewarm, but like a little bit like maybe out of thousand, we used to get 10 or 20 from corporate kind of thing. One corporate degree and oh, they won't take it seriously kind of thing at the early days. Like, like they would pay for the concern for their employees, something like that. Yeah, pretty calm that time. And at uh, the time, of course, yeah, March, COVID happened, right? So so the things have changed pretty dramatically after that, right? So we immediately, of course, government started saying the telemedicine is important. They changed the all the gray areas, etc. And that telemedicine is the way to go. What were the gray areas earlier in teleconcern? Not clear. It was made to be sometimes scandalous. Why are you doing this? And are you doing something behind the scenes? It's kind of things we used to explain, right? We're just an extension of the hospital and to the digital world and things like that, right? So those were all removed, right? Yeah. March 20th or 24th was the lockdown, right? And April 1st week, the guidelines were amended by the medical, medical council saying that, you know, we, can, we should do it, right? You well capitalized. Had you raised funds? Of course, we were. How much had you raised by then? By then, we already raised, I think, 30 odd million over three rounds. So we were okay. Well, by, I think by then, we raised around 20 odd million. And then after COVID, six months into COVID, we raised again another 15. So this is like a high business because, like any consumer internet business which is trying to change behavior, needs to do a lot of cash to like really make that behavior change happen and make it like a repeat behavior change and so on. So hence you you needed a lot of money to for customer acquisition. Yeah, it's about building the market. So definitely needed that money. And to be very honest, without COVID, it was even more difficult, right, to change that behavior, right? So yeah, you'd have had to spend a lot more time and money. And even the distribution channels were not mature enough and things like that, right? So even if you imagine doctors or hospitals or any other source of distribution, like corporate channel, etc. What do you mean by distribution channel here? Sorry. Like, for example, like a corporate taking the product and giving it to their employees, right? Giving it in bulk, right? That's what I meant, right? Or hospital saying that I want to take this and give it to my patients, right? So it was not very mature in that sense. Right? People are not doing it very proactively in that sense, right? Yeah, but COVID, after COVID, of course, things have changed. Government changed the rules. So providers became a bit more comfortable doing this, right? So 
And, and of course, there was no other way, right? With lockdowns and everything. So one thing led to the other. And initially in COVID, because of lockdowns and everything, and because of whether a lab is allowed to do this or not, RT-PCR, etc., kits were not available. So diagnostics bit got hurt initially, but because also people are not going to the lab for any other thing. So, but then after that, Diagnostic was taken off big time, right? It's opened up like crazy. Like I always say that COVID led to a lot of things like, for example, people understood that teleconsult can be done properly. Fairly complex situations can be handled. It's an important infrastructure piece for India to have, for healthcare systems to have, or policy to have, or consumers to have. Secondly, people became aware that testing is important. Knowing about your health is important, right? And it has to be, it can be done at home. Testing has to be done, right? And one more interesting thing was that people realized that they need to know about their health. Like they have to measure vitals. Everybody understood oxygen saturation measure karna hai, or lung strength measure karna hai, or BP dekna hai. Like you have to be serious about these, these things, damn it, right? The last point was that people understood their health data and regards why is it important, right? The vaccination, the language change, right? Now, vaccination, unko milega jisko comorbidities hai. Then what is comorbidities? Like, where is my record when I'm a diabetes patient? Where is my record that I'm a heart patient? Where am, what are contraindications? And think, ready, I need my health records. This was all locked up in my hospital or somewhere else, somewhere else, or I lost it with papers. These are the four factors, like teleconsult, diagnostics, vitals measurement, and data capturing. This has become like very important. People have understood this. Large population has understood this. So we launched a quick chatbot saying that evaluate yourself whether you are having COVID or not based on whether you traveled or whether you are coughing, whether it's a dry cough. So the quick chatbot we launched based on what we have already, infrastructure-wise. And that took off really well. People really... So... We had a data science team working on AI, etc. And the team has come up with the idea that we can actually implement the algorithm, capture the PPG signal. It's called photoplatysmogram. So it's basically a standard technique of, if you look at a pulse oximeter, you put your finger in it, basically throwing a light on it, taking the reflection of the light from the blood stream. And based on the variations of it, you can measure your uh, oxygen saturation level. So then the team has invented or innovated that take the signal from the your finger, putting the finger on the mobile camera of, an, of a simple Android camera, a phone camera. If the signal is good enough, and they proved that the signal is good enough to measure SPO. That was, that was fantastic, right? Kudos to the team. Kudos to, I know, all of us that do, who have contributed to that in the team. No, that was fantastic. That was basically, while I believed in it, that mobile has to become the central point of healthcare service. Seeing it in action was for me, like, it's like a, it's like a step change. Until then, I was happy that, oh, with just a mobile, I could get a doctor and patient talk in a detailed way, the way I built it, not like just a video call. I could actually diagnose, I could do everything. I was happy about the diagnosis itself. And now suddenly I saw vital being measured on mobile, right? So I was like held to pieces. Then of course the team now got the mandate and the research and wherewithal. And then they are excited as well. Now over a period of time we launched heart rate uh, measurements. Pretty accurate. SPO2 is like... And again that was through the mobile camera on your finger. It can be. And then beginning of this year we launched, uh, around April we launched BP. We can mention BP now. It's amazing. All through the fingers, camera on finger. Amazing. Okay. Yes, PPG, PPG signal. So these are all based on thorough research, published papers, etc., which we implemented the algorithms of it. And we 
enhance the algorithms because the way that the techniques etc which are rip or not only that we effectiveness of that has increased because of the data that we have we can apply ml on top and then actually the algorithm can improve and the learning can improve right so that improve over a period of time so we and uh, fingers crossed we we will be launching even blood glucose level monitoring blood glucose also without a prick like generally you need a with the same ppg signal so we should be able to crack it so yeah and like geographically do you cover all of india or like is it more on metros no so see for the web services if you look at consultation and these tools etc around 45% comes from non metros and uh, obviously the physical services hospital visits or the di- diagnostics etc those come more like 70% from metros so but idea is to expand right. it So for the non-metro, I mean, it would not be like finding a close by doctor, but it would be like solving an immediate problem that you want to consult, you consult now. Also, some kind of expertise that probably is missing, right? Like, so there are hardly like even to detect a problem is so difficult in this country, right? So I remember one, actually there was a psychiatrist consultation we were doing for an elderly patient and the doctor got a doubt and asked the patient to, uh, patients in former, both were on the video to walk and show either gay. and he suspected something and he said you should talk to a neurologist and there are i think last when i saw i think around 1700 neurologists in this country that's it they could talk to a neurologist on m5 and they actually suspect uh, their suspicion was true that there was a some issue in the brain some growth which is causing the problem in the gait as well and they could actually get to the next step of care please take what the what they should look at next what kind of numbers do you do now like how many consults and so we we come back now towards we now doing around 3000 or so consults but our mix has changed we don't do digital marketing anymore it's I, we do a lot of corporates right now so a lot of corporate business has come after covid right so uh, like the company would pay for every consultation or they would like say that we'll pay part of it or ha they take a subscription and then say that so many consults per person kind of per employee ah like an package where in a year you are allowed to three free consultants or so yeah so uh, we went almost like from 1000 to almost like 10x during covid obviously it settled at a higher end it didn't stay there but it came down but at a definitely higher level than what it was before covid and in the meantime we also went to a restructuring we we are more focused on pushing towards profitability we have a goal to become a bit of positive by next year so with the partnership with the joint venture with lifecell so we gone into that direction where we can actually build own labs own flabox service own across all services like pathology genomics radiology etc so we realized that there is a experience differentiation we can bring and of course economics are even better than just an aggregation so in in areas where it matters we can, we are actually owning up as well so so that's the direction that we are going now so tell me about this merger with uh, lifecell what triggered it and i would have thought probably the easier merger option would have been with the e pharmacy players because it's purely digital integration and like what would you want to instead choose to merge with a diagnostics company with an offline presence yeah so i think see we explored all options to be honest so from the combination of some kind of comfort of working with mayur and team mayur was a early angel investor in mfn as well by the way yeah, yeah. so that we know him just give it round of mayur for our listeners who don't know about lifecell and mayur oh Ma- mayur runs lifecell he is the head of lifecell business uh, md of that the lifecell is into what is called cord blood banking and and that's a core business but they've expanded into other areas as well of therapeutics areas or genomics and things like that 
and also a lot of specialized diagnostics in mother and child area. It started with cord blood blanking. Basically, it's the storing of the cord blood when a baby is born so that you can use the stem cells. Stem cells, you can use the stem cells in therapeutics when it's needed in specialized areas. And then they expanded into other diagnostics, specialized diagnostics and uh, you know, genomics, etc. That's the business he runs. So, and LifeCell is like a funded startup? Like what is? It was funded startup, but it's fully a profitable company. What was the trigger to explore merger options? The trigger was definitely a combination of our own roadmap and outlook from after five years of in the business. And more immediately was that the environment is definitely changing. So we definitely got hit by kind of a, we didn't expect the the speed at which the things have changed in the funding environment. So we were in the middle of our funding round of next round and definitely, and then things have changed pretty dramatically. We were getting the kind of funding where we wanted to get to. That was one trigger immediate. But tell me one thing, you raised almost $70 million in the last two years, right? First two years, we would have raised around 17 odd million, 20 odd million. And the next two years, we raised another 47 odd million. Why did you need funds? Like you had raised a pretty substantial amount, like like 48 million last like about a year or so back. So yeah, part of it was about a year and that some branch came earlier. But yeah, so I think we still were betting on growing the market, marketing, as well as we were taking pretty deep bets into technology buildings upfront, right? So none of the things that I have talked about are possible without deep investments into technology, right? And these are not monetizable also. And not immediately, definitely, right? So and it has a story of engaging the user and constantly being available for the user and then building more long-term subscriptions for the user, etc. And it's not an immediate thing that you go take it and pay for it, right? So and in the market, we I don't think anybody else has similar solutions, etc. Right? So it took a long-term view that we have to build. We'll build this in a different way. And in the shorter run, we probably underestimated the amount of money to take to build the market purely by marketing to some extent, right? So could have done a little bit of alternate approaches of how to, we could have done, let's say, more aggressively on corporate earlier in our cycle compared to when we started. So yeah, corporate started more, let's say, more deeply for us beginning of this year. Could have gone a bit more aggressive last year itself. That would have given us the cushion of customer acquisition cost. So do you regret spending on the product? extremely cool features that you built up? No, no, not at all. I think we could have, as I said, we could have done a bit differently was the way we built up our corporate channel, right? And we could have done a bit more differently on on the way we built our margin structure or the structure of how we did our diagnostics business, etc. But these products don't significantly move the needle for you, right? Like So today, for me, within the first month of usage of a free tool, 25% of them are giving me a paid transaction, right? My engagement and app retention and engagement of app opening, etc. has increased by 3x after the tools were introduced, right? So, and acquiring users for a free tool is much, much cheaper. It's 10x cheaper than or even 15x cheaper than acquiring for a paid transaction, right? So, and secondly, I'm addressing a larger market from an awareness point of view, wherein you may not be sick today, but you are okay to measure your BP or SP2, SPO2 or etc. Or a woman, you are monitoring, you're tracking your periods, etc. Right? So these things, they have a significant strategic value and business value that is uh, attributable. And this is the reason why today you don't need to spend marketing. Yes. Today, everything is organic at this point in time. We will 
start to spend marketing in some areas, but we will actually market these tools on the paid transaction. Uh, which will be a lot cheaper. I mean, the cost of acquisition will be a lot cheaper. Being the tools. Right. Amazing. Amazing. Just tell me about the capital and the partner deal. Is it like an equal merger or like what would the... So I wouldn't go into the details of that exact share and things like that. But yes, there is a coming together uh, to create a large scale platform wherein we own significant parts of the value chain, particularly those high value and high margin kind of parts of the value chain like diagnostics and things like that. And we expand the digital footprint across all the services with Empire. So, so... Lifestyle Diagnostics has come in, we have come in, and we are also rolling up more diagnostic chains in all areas, pathology, radiology, diagnostics, etc. And for this joint venture, already you're acquiring regional players, regional, not so organized. Yeah, the regional players, their own unique strength, etc. And bring them to this platform where all these digital capabilities can be leveraged for their growth and scale in the future as well. And consumer experience can be unified, improved, increase the effectiveness, etc. Now we can do much holistic care programs like, for example, how do I take care of long-term your chronic conditions and things like this? How do I do a lot more valuable preventive care with a combination of correlation of data of your imaging or you know, pathology, biochemistry, as well as genomics? So a couple of fundamental issues of improvement of economics and customer acquisition costs, etc. Investment into technology, deeper ownership in high margin areas and having sufficient capital to innovate. All of these problems are solved for us right now. So we are now actually really accelerating. So over the next 12 months, very exciting roadmap, almost like accelerating like crazy to become one of the top five platforms in the country. And then eventually in a couple of years, become top three platforms in the country much how will you plug in the pharmacy gap we are also doing pharmacy now so we have an interesting partner we'll announce it soon but we have an interesting partner with a large pharma distribution capability like an offline partner or a, like a startup it's a distributor across offline distributor of pharmacies so with already connections to nearly 60 to 80,000 pharmacies across the country and top 100 120 brands of the country are already there as part of their network so we are exploring some things which will materialize very soon. So that will be the supply and then you, you put in place, like you'll plug in logistics. We'll build the retail experience. Yeah, absolutely. Ah, right. Amazing, amazing. Okay. So that's what I said. It's a kind of a V-shaped thing and we have got everything to become one of the top-notch platforms in the country. And I'm super confident of the technology. Now we are combining that technology with capabilities of real assets both offline and online, both services and products, right? So that's the power the future going to be. How did you feel at the bottom of the V? I'm guessing when you had to lay off about half of your headcount, that must have been like the bottom of the V, right? How was that period for you? Good question. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough in the sense that, let's go back to my, as I said, right? I've always been successful, right? Not an outstanding success, not a outstanding failure ever. But this is like a kind of a setback, a bit of a setback. But major, because also I didn't like it at all that I had to, we had to take the tough call of laying off and readjust the cost structure and everything. The only thing that was important at the point in time was to stay afloat, make sure that, yeah, one is survive and secondly, preserve, right, what we have built. We deeply believed in what we have built, right? So for survival, we didn't kill things that otherwise, so just, few minutes ago you said right i mean these are not immediate value where you're building these things right you know, it's very easy to kill those innovations i mean cost take becomes paramount right 
But how do we find that balance and how do we stay sane and the reason for our existence and the purpose of this venture. And so I don't think it was a heroic act. It was a good, good enough effort and to survive, take day by day as it comes. So I want to understand what is the relationship between your GMV and how much you earn? Like your GMV in this case would be the consultation fees that you charge to a customer. So what is the relationship between the GMV and what you earn? The GMV is basically what the customer pays. And typically, different margin structures for different services. So we have agnostics and you're an aggregator, you are in the mid-40s kind of margin. But that will go up further if you're owning the lab itself, right? The concert. But mid-40s is massive. I had no idea that the margin was so high. Uh, and diagnostics is good. And consultation, you we typically have, we are not a lead gen platform, so we are a more a consultation platform. So we get almost like about third, early 30s kind of margin. Pharmacy would be lower margin because we work with the retailers, the fag end of the chain, but which also will change now going forward. But yeah, that's roughly the question. And what kind of top line did you do last year or what is your top line target for this year? Or if you can share some revenue numbers. What broadly I can tell you is that we reached a GMV of 40 million annualized beginning of this year. We, part of that revenue came from different services, stopped them, we reduced the market. All that stuff. But overall, we are looking at next year to do slightly better than that. In fact, back to, but almost nearing the profitability. Yeah. End of next year, getting to a bit of positive. Okay. You have a five day week? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's like all days a week. So, <laughs> more or less, usually a bit relaxed on Sunday, but yeah, six days. Okay. So, so let's frame it like this. So, I want to understand from you about organization building and you pick building mfind for quite a number of years now so what are some of those lessons that you can share with future founders about on building i think uh, so i think it starts from the premise that like building a company entrepreneurship sometimes a team sport that i believe very strongly it's not going to be an individual sport or a individual's heroic that build a large impactful company if you were to build that right so if you're doing a hobby projects may be different but the really building an impactful company with multi-faceted dimensions to multi-dimensional aspects of capabilities, a culture and everything. So you really have to have a team sport kind of attitude. Right? I also believe that sport is a better analogy than a, some organizations or some people talk about family and things like that. I believe that uh, that comes somewhat in the business environment that is less relevant. The team is not a family team, it's a team sport, uh, a sport team in the end. I think there is a lot of uh, performance aspects, mutual accountability aspects, which are difficult to map to a hey, family analogy. Typically, family is more about sacrifice and unconditional support and things like, yeah, those kind of things. But some of the aspects are irrelevant, but team sports, it's way more understandable, relatable for people. And that to the younger generation, which is basically involved in building these companies and startups, I think that's even more relatable and understandable. And for me personally as well, that, that works better. So, so, so starting from that theme, for me, I strongly believe that co-founder would be important. So that's how, from, so for me is that if you have an idea, if you have some thoughts, etc., Start with convincing at least one more person who has at least the same level of commitment, skin in the game and excitement. So that's the, that's the first sales job, right? So as a CEO or a founder. So that's where it starts. And then you convince a lot more people and not only convince, but bring that same conviction in a lot more people. 
right, of what you believe. So yeah, that's how we built it. Me and Ashutosh started this, got excited about this and started building some of the early teams. Uh, which is also from uh, Xmintra as well and, and started building that around and built a larger team was the initial team was very important and so that they are like really can take them and have the same level of uh, commitment to understand the market, understand the consumer, build the product that is unique or build the company that is stands by certain values and you know, approach, right? So that's the philosophy we followed. So one thing I've learned over a years, right? Like, you know, I've worked in small companies, of course, big companies as well, multinational companies, company. And uh, what I learned is that you need to make also your culture. Culture and values are I mean, largely influenced by the co-founders because their personality, their approach to things will definitely be right. That's one point. Second point is, unless you have really specific thing for your business, it will become a little bit meaningless and superfluous. So things like uh, we have fun and we really love our customers or like, you know, these things are like very superfluous at some point and the overloaded terms, right? So what we really, at least I pushed personally in the organization, I try to push, I don't think we are perfect, try to live by that, is that what is important to build a good, large-scale, impactful healthcare company and health tech company, right? That's how we identified uh, what is important for us as a competency, as a kind of a overall competency framework that we built, as well as what is the what is the kind of behavioral pattern, right? Cultural behavioral patterns, right? So this thing about a team being always cross-functional. So we always felt that we have to be as much a healthcare company as a tech company, as an operational excellence company. How do you structure the company? In, like you would have like say a product team, right? Like, but what would be different? We have functions. Functional expertise is what works, but most of the uh, deliveries and most of the projects are all combination of business person, product person, engineering. So basically people align around projects and therefore it is a multifunctional group of folks who align around the project. And not only that, I want people to look literally to find teammates rather than vertically in deep organizations, right? The reporting line is not your team, right? It's actually the... In a football analogy, the one that you pass the ball to is your team, not the person that you're coaching to be a better expert at, right? So so that's the that's always the idea. I also believe that people have to have deeper personal connection to the goals in the organization, achievements in the organization, right? And whatever they're building for themselves, whatever they're building for the company or for themselves have to be kind of aligned. We have a support policy for higher education. You you fund people's executive <laughs> education. Yeah, at least we set up a catalog. We work, HR works on a catalog of interesting courses that people can do while at job. So I want to understand as a founder, do you like change your mode of working when you transition from that zero to hundred employee headcount from there when you transition to hundred to thousand employee headcount. Like probably in the zero to hundred, you would personally be doing a lot of hiring and you would be approachable to everybody. And probably you would personally be setting goals and being part of project conversations and so on. How does that change once you cross hundred headcount and you from that hundred to thousand? Yeah. So Yes, I think there is a there is that transition, definitely. So you need to build a larger team that can actually 
pretty much do the same thing that you would do or maybe even do better than you would do, right? So I do come from experience of both working small companies as well as large team setups as well, right? So so I do understand that being a, a second-time founder as well as being coming from a larger executive role in a larger company, multinational company, I do understand that transition, I, I believe, I understand. So I think that has been relatively smooth for me. So I wanted to ask you this, now that you've merged with Life Cells Diagnostic Business, would you continue to be the CEO? What is the equation going forward? I think for the foreseeable future, that's what we're looking at as I'm fine continuing as an organization with the capabilities on tech and digital and bringing the entire platform under this tech platform as well as brand and supporting all the consumer journeys across and offline you know, and consumer channels as well, B2C and B2B2C. So that continues to be you know, the case. And as we, there is a significant role of play of multi-organizational uh, acquisitions and build-up, etc. So I think it more would look like a conglomerate as we go along. And me and Ashutosh are part of board of Lifestyle. So that's where it's all converging into a kind of execution structure or a, so to say, end-to-end view of the entire company. So what like what the Baiju's approach is, of, which is also like doing a roll-up of tech companies. So this would be like to acquire more companies in the diagnostic space or also in other spaces? There are multiple areas. I think we will announce it the next quarter or so. Diagnostics is one across diagnostics like pathology, radiology, genomics, etc. And InsurTech has a big area as well for us. Some tech acquisitions also would be there where we see good technology that actually can scale joining hands. So some care areas like uh, care programs, like chronic care management, etc. So that multiple areas that we are looking out more openly towards simulating those, those capabilities. And uh, you want to go beyond India also or you want to be India focused initially? Yeah. Initially, yes, beyond India, but we won't say no to beyond India. We'll invest opportunity everywhere. That was one of the things that when me and Dr. also started MPINT, I think that this is a very universal topic. We can bring a lot of things we have done innovations-wise are relevant also. So, yeah, even some of the capabilities now we are acquiring will be also relevant abroad as well. And that brings us to the end of this conversation. I want to ask you for a favor now. Did you like listening to this show? I'd love to hear your feedback about it. Do you have your own startup ideas? I'd love to hear them. Do you have questions for any of the guests that you heard about in this show? I'd love to get your questions and pass them on to the guests. Write to me at ad at the podium dot in. That's ad at t h e p o d i u m dot in.